Welcome to Talk About Talk with Dr. Andrea. In this podcast, we will learn about all things communication. Listen as Dr. Andrea and the experts she interviews share their expertise. Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Welcome to Talk About Talk. I am Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. You can call me Andrea. Thank you so much for listening. As you may know, Talk About Talk focuses on all things communication related. For example, recently we covered using our voices and motivations for why people talk. Today, we are focusing on body language. You've probably heard that body language accounts for a significant proportion, like 95% of what we're saying. Body language is worth our attention. We can improve our communication if we understand and leverage our own body language. In this episode, I'm going to take just a few minutes to share with you some interesting things that I learned from my research on body language. Then I'll introduce Cynthia Barlow, an executive coach who will share her expertise on body language with you. Here goes. First, I'm going to throw some terminology at you. If you're interested, by the way, you can find all of this in the show notes on the website at talkabouttalk.com. So don't worry if you don't catch this all the first time. This vocabulary was certainly all new to me. So we know there is verbal and nonverbal communication, right? We talked about verbal communication using our voices in a previous episode. Verbal communication includes vocal elements, including rate, volume, articulation, pronunciation, fluency, and pitch. Then there's also nonverbal communication, which includes body language. Body language is also known as kinesics. That's what we're focusing on in this episode. It never really occurred to me before that there are other types of nonverbal communication beyond body language. Can you guess what they are? Well, there's haptics or touch, like when someone touches your arm or when someone firmly shakes your hand. That's haptics. There's also proxemics, which are related to distance or proximity, as in get out of my personal space. That's proxemics. There's also oculesics, or communicating with our eyes. Oculesics considers things like eye contact and pupil dilation. And then there's chronemics, or the use of time. So, for example, punctuality, which, by the way, communicates respect for the other person, right? The next time someone apologizes to me for being late, I'm going to say, no problem. I understand you are simply demonstrating your disrespect for me via chronemics. Ha ha. Okay, so moving on. We've established that there's verbal and nonverbal communication, and body language is just one of several types of nonverbal communication. As I was doing some research for this episode, I came across something that had not even crossed my mind before. And by the way, that's one of my favorite things about doing this talk about talk thing, learning completely new ideas. Here's the thing. Have you ever thought about the link between body language and robots? I certainly hadn't. Let me back up. Do you know what HRI is? HRI stands for Human Robot Interaction. HRI relates to AI or artificial intelligence and robotics and other technology pursuits that are advancing so quickly. As humans are interacting with robots, there is of course the verbal communication, the voice commands. Think Siri, only more sophisticated with robots. In addition to verbal interaction, 
Humans and robots can also communicate via body language. Scientists who are working on HRI, human-robot interaction, have to establish a clear, objective understanding of body language so that robots can decode or interpret human behaviors. But communication's two-way, right? So these scientists also program the robots to encode or communicate by displaying appropriate body language so that humans can also interpret robot behaviors. So my point in bringing this up is this. Our command of body language clearly must be well beyond the latent and anecdotal. If you're interested in learning more about HRI, I've included a few links to various papers in the show notes for this episode at talkabouttalk.com. Now then, the more prescriptive stuff. Clearly, there's been a ton of research on body language. There's so much out there about this. Let me try to summarize some of the basics before I introduce my guest. The first thing we should keep in mind is that body language, the things that our brains tell our body to do, is well worth our attention and our focus. Honestly, personally, as a result of the research I did for this podcast, I am making a real concerted effort to be more conscious of my own body language. Of course, we all know that other people are constantly interpreting the signals and the cues that we're communicating through our body language. In addition, though, there's also research out there substantiating that our body language also affects what our own brains are thinking. So it's like a double whammy. Our body language is not just communicating to other people, but also to our own brain. Our brain is listening to our body. Professor Amy Cuddy, a Harvard Business School social psychologist, has studied this phenomenon in detail. One of the things that she says that I really like is, quote, don't fake it till you make it, fake it till you become it. I love it. One question that I know people, including myself, often ask is, how can I appear more confident, say, for a job interview or a presentation or even just socially? Confidence is generally attractive, right? It's a good thing. If we want to appear confident, we should be demonstrating physical dominance. I guess that makes sense. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be bigger than the other person, although, of course, that might help. Then again, our physical dominance can't be too overt, or it might backfire. You'll hear some about this from my guest Cynthia Barlow in a minute. But there are some cues about confidence that we should all consider. First, we need to offer a firm handshake with direct eye contact and a smile. These are manifest cues that our parents taught us, but a little reminder can't hurt, right? Second, a more latent way to demonstrate confidence is to be expansive. We should ask ourselves, how much space am I taking up? Have you ever heard the saying, you get the space you deserve? Take a look at authoritative executives or politicians. You'll probably notice that many of them take up a lot of space. If you're standing or walking, Being expansive means standing up straight with your shoulders back. Being expansive also means taking big steps. If you're sitting, this means proper posture. It might even mean manspreading, God forbid. It means raising your hand way up if you have a question. Next time you're seated around a table, maybe in your dining room or in a meeting room, take a look around and notice how much space each person is taking. It's fascinating. Have you ever heard of the power pose? This might be difficult if you're driving right now listening to this podcast, but otherwise, just try this. Stand up straight, put your hands on your hips, and push your chest out like Wonder Woman. <sighs> Take a deep breath. Be big. How do you feel? The power pose should improve your mood, your energy, 
and maybe even your blood chemistry. Pretty cool, right? You might notice that this power pose is very open. And openness is something else that I learned. Interestingly, research shows that if you want to appear attractive, there are two things to consider. Confidence, as I just mentioned, but also openness. So how do we demonstrate openness? First, keep your body pose open. Don't cross your arms or your legs, which may indicate nervousness or disinterest. Allow yourself to be physically vulnerable or open. Secondly, show your hands. If you're seated around a table, rest your hands or maybe your arms and your hands on the table. Don't hide them under the table and certainly don't fidget. If you're standing, keep your hands out of your pockets. Sure, this is all implicit, but we trust people who are open and whose hands we can see. So you got it? Make eye contact, shake hands firmly, smile, sit or stand up straight, take up lots of space, and show your hands. Now I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Cynthia Barlow. Perhaps not coincidentally, Cynthia has beautiful hands, and she uses hand gestures a lot when she's speaking. If you listen carefully, you might even hear her use her hands to smack the table that we are seated at for the interview. Cynthia Barlow is a facilitator, a coach, and the founder of C3 Conversations, Inc., which focuses on leadership development through emotionally intelligent communication. Cynthia has conducted workshops, programs, and retreats for companies such as Bank of America, TD Bank, Bell Canada, Amex Canada, and various government ministries. She also works one-on-one coaching managers from Fortune 500 companies, from emerging leaders to mid-level managers to top executives. Cynthia is also an author and a speaker, and I can tell you personally that from the first time I met Cynthia, I was drawn to her and I wanted to hear what she had to say. Welcome, Cynthia, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. My first question for you, Cynthia, other than the words we say, what are some of the most important ways that we communicate? Andrea, we are basically communicating every second of the day, whether our mouth is associated with that or not. Our body is screaming who we are. You declare yourself when you walk into the room. Your body doesn't lie. So if in doubt, you don't believe the body because the body will tell the truth. Uh, Probably the single most important thing is eye contact. And what I have found that most people don't maintain it because they're too busy thinking of their own rebuttal. Oh, as soon as that person stops talking, here's what I'm going to say. And so eye contact follows the thought process. And if I'm thinking about, okay, I don't know what to answer to that thing. I'm now no longer even engaged with the person that I'm talking to, right? So so that's probably the single biggest um, thing that people are looking at when they first walk in. Eye contact, it's how we judge sincerity. So non-consciously though, right? Oh, it's completely unconscious. We have about a 5% consciousness, uh, I don't want to call it a ratio, but capacity. Out of 100%, 95% of it is operating under the radar screen. So I say it's a little bit like using my Mac. I have no clue how it works, but I understand Word. I understand Excel. I understand some software packages. I have no clue how the darn computer works. Same thing with us. We are 95% EXE files, none of which do I understand, but I know if I mess with them, 
It could affect the way my software packages work, right? And so I've got glitches in my consciousness. So right. that's, it's the same way with communication. We so, have 95% is being motivated by stuff we aren't even aware of. Right. Or yeah. communicated by things we're not yeah. aware of. Yeah. So 5% is literally the words that are written on the transcript. And the other 95% is things like eye contact. Mm-hmm. And what else? Oh, things like that. Mm-hmm. So the nonverbal signals, uh, the, the, they were watching... Uh, the meta messages, meta messages being things that are not being said, but that are being communicated via the body, via tone of voice. Right. And uh, given that you're in a relationship, you have children, you understand it's sometimes not what people say, but that old adage, it's the way you said it, right. you know. And so we communicate with tone and pitch. Volume. And volume. And when uh, women... In particular, we can get into gender differences. If oh, I'd you want. love to. Oh, well, let's take a little left-hand turn right now. Yeah. <laughs> the way we are, and I'll use the word discriminated against in communication, is a difficult fence, additional fence to have to jump. So, for example, I was coaching an EVP uh, out of a big company in Paris. Lovely. She was the only woman at the table. Executive committee, only woman. This is a French culture, extremely private, very contained, no displays of emotion. And for heaven's sakes, don't tell people what you really think. It's all very polite. I like to call it pretend. Very rational, very objective. Yes. And so if you have a degree of emotion around a decision you'd like to see implemented or a recommendation that you're making to the CEO... And you are the only woman, and you feel passionately about this, and you're being taken down by the other men, the other 11 men at the table. How do you get your point across without right. being accused of, settle down, Missy. You know, don't get your knickers in a bunch. Right. It's such a stereotype. It too. is. It is. And so in certain situations, it is the, it's what tips the, the scale into, okay, Okay, she really believes we're gonna right. we're gonna implement this. So there's an interesting message there, right? So save it for when you need it. Yeah. If they hear it yeah. all the time, if, if they, they hear just it all the hear time. emotion, they're gonna dismiss Squeaky the message. Squeaky wheel, exactly. Especially when you're in that place of emotion. It doesn't mean you ignore your emotions. It means you know how to leash them. And right. and I say it's like walking your dog. There's two ways to walk a dog. The dog walks you. Or you walk the dog. That's a and great that, metaphor. And thank it. you very much. I made that up. <laughs> um, you get. To tell the dog when they can go, when they can't go. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that takes training up front. Most right. people don't want to spend the time. Same with our emotions. They steer the ship. They are the 95%. Our limbic brain, which preceded our neocortex, through which we have rational thinking, from which we think we're communicating so cogently, right. is being directed from behind the scenes, like the little man in the Wizard of Oz going, you know, don't look over here to ignore that guy by the limbic brain, which is where the amygdala is, which is where we perceive danger and threat. So all we need now, and that's instinctual, that's evolutionary. We can't outrun that. Nobody can. Right. The best you can learn is to identify it and then take that, uh, I say, punch the pause button, take a deep breath. If you are in a chair, lean back. I mean, that's one of the best tips I have for communicating more effectively is 
breathe because when we're not breathing we're not getting oxygen to our right. brain and so now we're like eh, eh, eh. i feel like this deep breathing is coming out in so many contexts nowadays yeah. Yeah. right it's how do you reduce anxiety how do you get to sleep at night yoga tai chi we all need to breathe deeply i guess it helps with mm-hmm. communication as well Absolutely, because one of the first things to go is our brain. When we're under stress, all of our uh, blood vessels are being constricted. We don't have any control over this. This is auto. This is part of that 95% that's all handled for us. And so our blood flow is being redirected to our major muscle groups in order to, to run away or to turn and fight the perceived threat. And if the perceived threat is your N plus 2, your, your boss's boss, coming down the, the uh, hallway and you see him and this is standard and you have 40 paces and he's coming right at you. And meanwhile, your head now is thinking, what do I say? How do I say it? What do I look? And that's the first sign that you're in stress. Nice deep breath as you walk by, nod your head and say, morning. Yeah, right. keep going. Right. <laughs> breathe deeply. And I love breathe it. deeply. Okay. So I may have heard the breathing deeply in this context. I've definitely heard about the eye contact thing. Yeah. And just for the record, for the listeners, I'm now really trying to engage Cynthia <laughs> in active eye contact. I'm making sure that I'm not looking at my notes. Uh, so part of what that 95% below the, the, you know, the subconscious that's handling all these things for us, first of all, it processes 40 million bits of information per second. I wow. want you to think about that for a no, second. No, I can't. I can't. 40 million bits of information. Your conscious mind and mine engaged in this conversation are processing 40. Right. So across five senses, right? And right. then. And so yeah. we're picking up information like this and synthesizing it into a whole, which is what the unconscious is so good at disparate pieces of information and how they might link together, whereas the conscious mind is very much, is much more linear. It's less. Um, right. abstract right. in its abilities to gather uh, disparate pieces of information that seem to contradict. We will choose one or the other. The unconscious goes both and instead of either or. And right. so we, we leave, for example, in your business, in mine, we might leave a room thinking we've given it our best shot and we still come out with these doubts and we don't, but he never said anything, but I just have this feeling that right. I didn't get the gig, whatever. You're picking up on the unstated communications being processed that you're not able to pinpoint the actual data because it it's just comes to you like that. Uh-oh. Did you say 40 million? Yeah, 40, 40 million. What I hopefully teach some people, be aware of the assumptions, like one of the biggest mistakes that people make that I see is assuming that what they're picking up on is about them because they're in conversation. So it's uh, attribution theory, right? It must be me. Confirmation bias. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's all about. um, So for example, this is the one I use in my classes. My father was the disciplinarian and my mother never did any of that, but she had this look. She had a look where she would stand with her weight thrust onto her left hip, cross her arms, and her right eyebrow would rise. Okay, so it was this. Uh oh. Okay, yeah, and there, that's it. Uh oh. It's a con- it's a critical look. Right. Like I see what you did, you bad child. Okay. I'm of an age now. I can be sitting with a group of well-educated, articulate people. 
who I know are not criticizing me, and I will see somebody do that. This is a real example. It happened many years ago, but I did see someone, you know, 25th row back, four, four in from the aisle, and he did that thing. He crossed his arms and he tilted his head, and his right eyebrow went up, and I went, <laughs> what did I do to piss him off? So I had learned enough by then to check out my assumptions. I went to him at the break and I said, I just want to check. You know, when I was talking about X, Y, Z, well, good for you. I saw this. I'm just checking. Did I, was I off-putting? <gasps> no, no, no. I just realized I had left something unplugged or plugged or whatever it was. He had left something undone at his home before he got there that morning. And he had just remembered. That was a look of self-criticism. Right. So, and I assumed it's about me. So part of the so. message, I guess, is that when you are in a situation where you're communicating and you can check in with someone in a way that's effective for Absolutely. everybody that's around, do it. you can or should, but if you can't, don't let it disarm you because chances are it's not about well, you. Well, and that's it. Chances are it's not about you. And if you are a single, you know, presenter like what you do you're going in and you're making a presentation for your services i feel very strongly about the fact that if your brain is involved in a conversation going uh oh what just happened something doesn't feel right and you can't really quite put it together because there's nothing obvious there's no one liner that you know is has shut the room down right there's just this like there's an unspoken agenda or something i name it now, I think it you takes... You name it. Absolutely. I will stop in the middle of a class or in the middle of a presentation, and if you need a chance to catch up, right. no one gets away. defensive here. They get curious. Right. Why do you need time? Yeah, why do you need time? So I do a timeout, and I say, timeout, and I'll be with a group, and I'll say, I just want to check in on something. I feel, whatever it is, I kind of feel like John... Maybe you've checked out. Do you have something else you do? I've seen you look at your phone three times. I give the data. So in communication, what we generally do, we take in data from our five senses. We put it through this contextual filter, which is that 5% that contains all our natural biases, how we were raised, what we, our preferences, and is built on or ultimately ends up forming the belief structures. Right. You know, so like, this is the 5% that can articulate. Yes to the room after the timeout, here's what I'm observing. Yes. By the way, this takes a lot of confidence. And it takes a lot of practice. So that you can say, John, I just saw you lift your right eyebrow. You wouldn't know this, but my mom used to do that same thing when she was trying to tell me I'd been a bad girl. So I'm just checking in, but have have, have Have I I been a bad girl? (laughs) Yeah. And I will lighten the whole tone. Did you hear how my voice changed? Right. So that that, it's not a big deal just checking in because, you know... and then, the, because it's not confrontive, it's more curious. Well, you're making yourself uh, vulnerable in oh, a absolutely. way, right? Which, again, takes confidence, Source but it also... Source of all power. I just watched another Brene Brown two-minute thing that came out, and somebody had posted it, and I was like, she is so bang on, man. She is so bang on, and that's all she's been researching. And if you're not willing to be vulnerable, if you're not willing to show people, hey, oh, I just screwed up, I had a human moment, whatever then you're going to have a really hard time getting people to want to follow you. 
And that's the secret of effective leadership. Okay, well, we've so, jumped to topics. So again. no, but let's let's go deeper on this because okay. I think this is really interesting. So let's. Where does vulnerability and communication intersect? Great question. Let's just pretend that you and I are having lunch, and let's pretend we've known each other ten years. Okay. And let's pretend that I sense that something's not right. You're just you don't feel right. That's you know. We, we can't really point to anything. It's just a feeling. And so most people, and I think most people listening to this can relate, have had this happen. And you say to your friend or loved one, is everything okay? Right. And they go, yeah. And it's the giveaway is the raised voice. Yeah. Right. right. And you go, oh, okay. And most people say, oh, Thank goodness, because okay. I didn't want to talk about it anyway. And then they go on, but you don't believe them. Right. You don't believe them. Right. Okay. So if it were me, and it has happened to me, I'll say, I lean even further into the table as a sign of bridging the distance and offering them, you know, here, come towards me because I'm also not all worked up or passionate about an idea. I'm curious. And so I say, really? Then tell me why all my bells and buzzers are going off because you sure don't feel okay to me. Mm. And with that change... Usually, it'll be, I, re- I didn't want to talk, I, okay, I just got a call from my ex-husband and blah, 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 you know. Right. And now it's out there. So your first question was a yes-no question. So it's easy to say, yeah. no, I'm fine. But then your second but, question, the really, it's... They, I'm listening to the way they answer it. Right. Oh, I'm fine. Why? Why do you ask? Do I not seem fine? Mm-hmm. Oh, now I know you are fine. And maybe you're just preoccupied with something, but, but not upset about something. And certainly not at me, which is why I'm pressing. Because maybe I was, you know, maybe I didn't call you back when I said I was going to call you back, and you're a little PO'd at me. Right. So that's could how be. we, you know, that's... It could be all about you again. Yeah, right? it could be all about me. That's right. So <laughs> most people have not done enough personal development or self-reflection work. And in our busy corporate lives right now, who has time for self-reflection? You've got emails to get out and people to see and sales to make. And so we don't take time. And that's why we need leadership coaches or EQ coaches right. for people in their well, it's starting younger and younger now, but in their 40s, who are facing midlife crisis because everything they've been doing and the way they've been communicating has been good enough to get them to where they are. And now, because they cannot or don't seem to want to learn additional skill sets, we're talking 48 to 52 years of age, basically, then the very same skill sets that brought them up that bell curve are going to take them down faster on the other side because they become immutable. It, it's my way or the highway. The difference is, and this is why most people don't bother, it takes a lot of work right, it to does figure that out. And then the remarkable thing is you communicate more clearly. You're not afraid of hearing no's. When we add to that the understanding that empathy is the bridge of connection, we can actually end up collaborating far more effectively with team members or people we live and work with. Right. Uh, because we actually spend the time to try and connect to them, which can only happen back full circle now to vulnerability. Right. I was going to say vulnerability, and the other buzzword I just heard is uh, empathy. empathy. I'm hearing empathy over and over again. I heard recently that people who read more fiction are more likely to be more empathetic. Interesting. And I thought, wow, right? Because you are putting yourself into someone else's situation and... 
I assume most people are reading to learn on some level. Of course, some of it's entertainment. Yeah, well, but there's the whole chick lit thing. And right. I, I'm, right. I'm not, not right. into that. But I had this conversation, but you actually. Know, I think with you're some, probably right, because yeah. we do know that those the children who are read to as youngsters uh, become more empathetic more quickly right. in school settings. Right. And they're more so I don't think this fact was fiction versus nonfiction. Yeah. I no, think it was fiction versus reading. not reading. Yeah. Right. And because I, I had this conversation with someone who, who happens to read a lot of history and he said, I think reading biographies and autobiographies yeah. would make you particularly empathetic. Mm. And empathy is such a powerful thing. That's, that's interesting because I do know uh, some people that I just know well and her friends uh, are, are, are quite well adjusted and, and pretty healthy and very successful. They all read mm. biographies yeah. and autobiographies. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to go back to kind of the basics of communication. And mm-hmm. as you were talking, I was thinking about my, I think it was Psych 201 class <laughs> at the University of Calgary, where we drew this diagram of the encoder and the decoder. Do you mm-hmm. remember this? Mm-hmm. And there's the message being transmitted and there's stimulus all around and the decoder interprets the message. And I yeah. just was thinking, given that basic and most of the time, framework yeah. and all of the noise that's around, um, you can call that part of the 95%. And yeah. what are some of the mistakes that, uh, that people make either when they're trying to communicate something, you can choose whatever is just off the top of your head or on the encoding side, when you're trying to understand what are the misperceptions that people may commonly have when someone's trying to communicate something to them that they misinterpret instead of mistakes let's say misconceptions okay so for example i was teaching a facilitation class and they're learning all of what i'm telling you right now these subtleties what they do their unconscious behaviors the ceo or the cfo is standing up pacing in front of the table when he's got you know the team assembled and he's got both his hands in his pockets and he's jingling change Everybody in the room is thinking to themselves, will you stop that? That's distracting. And he does not even know he's doing it. He doesn't even know he's doing it. The better way is to really go inside reflection, you know, and and go, okay, you know, I'm the kind of person who really doesn't like making presentations. I'm not very good at that. And you own that at the beginning of every presentation. If it looks like I'm nervous, if you hear anything knocking, those are only my knees. Don't worry about it. I'm not really familiar with this. And I'm going to give it my best shot. Please bear with me. Wow. So well, you're advocating fully disclosed. Here's the thing. If you take away what the audience or the individual is thinking about, you take away the, the, the power. I don't right. know. No, how I know what you mean. Okay, I... here's a perfect example in, in case you've ever seen this. Eight Mile with Eminem. And there is a scene at the end where he's doing a rap um, contest. Okay, it's a big turny kind of thing and here's this white guy from the wrong side of the tracks and the the guy who won it last year and so is there to defend his championship and most of them i mean it was a racially charged situation yeah and so the night before his friend says you know he goes i don't know what to say i'm just gonna say he's gonna say i'm a white guy i'm from the wrong side of the track. He goes, then just you do that you take it away he does he wraps this whole thing, says, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. He nails it, drops done. the mic, done, wins. Because the guy now had nothing to say. Right. I have a real visceral memory of being about 24 years old and 
giving a speech at a sales meeting in Banff. Um, originally, I was not on the agenda for this meeting, and then someone backed out. So my boss asked me at the last minute to do it, mm-hmm. and I said okay. And I said I'm comfortable presenting this product and whatever this plan. And I got up there, and the first thing I said was, consistent with your advice. I just want you to know that I was just given this, but I fully believe in this program. And let me tell you everything I know. And if I can't answer your questions, I'll do so afterwards. And I gave the presentation and then I answered some questions and I said, thank you. And you know, the next day my boss said, never begin a presentation with an apology. Mm -hmm. You're confident enough. Everybody may have just believed if you stumbled on your words that that was just your style. And I thought, what? So, so I'm going to take a little risk here and say I agree with your boss. Okay. In that situation, you didn't name it to make the audience more comfortable. You named it to make yourself more comfortable. I did. And that's did. the difference. So I, for example, you've, you've been sitting here talking to me. We've known each other at least cursorily for a little bit of a period of time. You know, and I'm doing it right now. The listener can't see that. I have a very uh, expressive face. And my body moves, and my hands move. Yep. And I once was you speak told, with your hands. You have beautiful I speak with the hands. Oh well, thank you. And I, somebody once said, if we cut off your arms, your mouth would stop working. So, <laughs> knowing that that is my innate style, it isn't that I can't modify it, and for, I will do it right now. When I am delivering a program for the internal audit department of the Ministry of Transportation. <laughs> I slow down my speech, I modulate it, and you'll see my hands are crossed. She's got her hands crossed. I am not moving. Neatly at the table, yes. It is extraordinarily painful and, and, and energy draining for me to talk like this, but it is what my audience needs in order for me to win their trust so that by the end of the minimum three hours, preferably a day, of that time, I'm now talking like I am. They are not using up half their brain wondering if I am credible. Right. They've already decided you are. And so if I don't have that kind of time, I name it right up front. Okay, so so let's get into some nitty-gritty here. Sitting at the table with your hands crossed can communicate trustworthiness or engagement, I suppose, depending on calmness, if you're leaning in. Calmness. calmness is, this is more about calmness as opposed to the steepling of the hands, which is totally about authority and ah. uh, intimidation. You want to talk about a 95%? Look at the, the number of times that Trump sits with his hands down in triangles right in front of his genitalia. His legs are spread. This right. is how he the sits. We've spread. all seen it. And, we, the man's, and he's got his... Uh, elbows on his thighs with his hands pressed together, come saw, in the steepled position. That's all unconsciously he is giving a co- contradictory meta message. One, right. this means authority. Priests do it at, the, at their desks when the they're giving pre-marital. position. Yes, right. and uh, psychologists do it, and lawyers do it, and doctors it do it. It's very okay? noble. Right. Well, it's not noble. It's it's a uh, it's I know more than you. Shut up and listen. Right. Okay. And so people shut up. The meta message in the receiver is, oh, be quiet. Listen. Oh, okay. Okay. So he the is decoder, powerful. as you want to call the it. Decoder. So it's more what is the intention behind the encoder? Right. Okay. Who is giving? Who's talking? 
That's what they're trying to communicate on an unconscious level. They don't even know it. So there's another specific uh, posture that I've heard contradictory things about, and that is crossing your arms Mm -hmm. at your chest. I've heard both that that projects authority, but I've also heard that it makes people seem defensive. Defensiveness. No, it's absolutely defensiveness. There's no reason to cross your, your arms in front of you. And people do it in the middle of a sentence. They don't even know they've done it. Right. And what I know is when I'm watching them, if they do that, they don't agree with what they just said. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. It's, I'm going to be watching again, for that. a meta message. This is happening in the 95% that's processing like this. And then it bubbles up to our consciousness. We grasp a little bit of it and we go, I don't think I believe them. So have you heard that people who play with their hair in mm-hmm. the in the... Um, a company, I guess, of people that they may be attracted to, that they're more likely to play with their hair. One of my kids told me they were at a camp and there were some female coaches and when the boys came in the room, the female coaches started playing with their hair. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, kids can even zone in on this stuff. So It's also about when the crossed arms goes Okay. and what accompanies it. For example, I could get up in the morning and I could say, you know what? Now, I've got my hands on my hips. Power position. A lot of people have been told, a lot of women have been told, start a presentation with your hands on your hip because that declares that you're the authority and you're in control and yeah. you're, you know. I've seen it. And yeah. I'm like, what are you, nuts? Are you trying to piss off every single person in the audience? Right. You only do that because you don't feel powerful. Right. You're the one up there talking. So that's what I was wondering about Trump. Is he holding his hands in those positions so that we think he oh, is? Oh, or? for God's sakes, the man is... Well, we'll just put <laughs> mentally ill on the side. However, he is a scared little boy. He is a frightened child caught yeah. in a corner and doesn't even know where to turn. And we are seeing the effects of that. So, unfortunately, communication... He's a con man, so I'm not even... It's... He, he can't help what he's doing, but trust your instincts when you're listening to him. Yeah, yeah I and do. You, I do certainly get it. You a, saw the one. Uh, don't, don't believe what you hear and don't believe what you read. Right. And don't believe what you see. Turn the sound off. 1984. And watch Here we are, George Orwell. But Actually, so, that's, that's another good analogy, right? So there's the movie script and the transcript and there's the words that are there. And then there's also turn the volume off on the TV set or whatever and just watch the actor or watch the speaker or whoever. Well, we know communication is 90% visual and that's the strongest sense and we think in pictures. So that's why I teach in so many metaphors because people can relate to huge concepts when we're talking about, well, it's like walking a dog with a leash. Okay, So that's just a metaphor. Let's end this with... A question about specific advice and, and sure. what I'm looking for here is advice for people at work who want to project themselves as professional dependable and promotion worthy in terms of um, back to the nonverbal communication what should they be doing or avoiding so well, it's like learning any skill you become extremely conscious of what you're trying to do you, you, you know the first time you hit a golf club you know you're thinking oh backswing in my fingers and keep your eye on the ball and yeah. don't turn it's it so it's the same thing with language right. after a while they become the default uh, settings on the way we communicate and people just are more likely to uh, want to engage with us, right? So, so I would recommend specifically, whenever you feel emotionally charged, take a deep breath. Okay. Um, there are lots of other things, you know, they say with, with parents. 
count to 10. Well, I don't know anybody makes it to 10. We all crap out at about three, you know, one, two, three, you put that down. That's right. In the moment. In the moment. So, uh, the, and and so I'm going to give you a couple of concepts and then actual specifics. Conceptually, you want to think long-term, not short-term. Okay. And in the moment of an emotional charge, it is a natural human tendency to want to get even. And it, 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 you know, the revenge thing. And right. We Retaliation. Think re- yeah, revenge is being something big. And no, 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 it's just a little, you know, now we just, you know, verbal. <laughs> yeah, if you can say uh, this, I can say that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and watch my back as I turn it from you, you know, or this. Um, the audience can't see you, the listener can't see, but I'm doing that dismissive thing with my hand, which is dismissed, you know. And somebody does that around a table, I call it out. You're not allowed to let your body speak like that without having your mouth back it up. Because if you don't, that means you're unaware that you just did it, which means that you are that lacking in self-awareness, given that self-awareness is the first and most fundamental pillar of developing emotional intelligence. One cannot be self-regulated, i.e. walk the dog on the leash, until one is aware right. that the dog is dragging you. you know? And then... The third is uh, empathy. So until we have gone through those processes, uh, we, we will stymie our ability to really connect with other people. Yeah. So I'm going to fire the five rapid-fire questions oh, there's to you five? now that Do I, I have ask five? every guest. Oh. First question is, what are your this. pet peeves? <laughs> Anything? Anything. Oh, the things oh that bug that's you. easy. People who drive slow in the fast lane on the 401, for heaven's sakes. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Do they not ever look in their rear view mirror? Can they not tell that there are 20 cars in a conga line all waiting for them to pull over? I don't understand. Yeah, they either don't know but or they don't care. But they're not other aware. Right. I agree. Yeah. I, so, very okay. similar to mine. Second, what type of learner are you? Visual, auditory, maybe some other kind of learning? Oh, all of them. Everybody is all of them. And I know that I'm primarily a visual learner. Right. So I read a lot of books and my space needs to be settled before I can really focus and concentrate. Some people can work in clutter. No, I need need tidy. Cleanliness is not as important. Yeah, no, no. Are you the same? I'm the same. Just make it look right. It doesn't have to, you know, be all shiny. Right. I'm the same. Exactly. Okay. Third question is introvert or extrovert? I'm much more balanced. I used to be very much an extrovert. I have come alive in this conversation after that horrible drive here. And I'm very much looking forward to getting back to my apartment tonight after a dinner because I will need my eye time. Okay, fourth question is communication preference for personal conversation. Do you prefer phone, email, text, social media? What's your go-to? That's an interesting question because I'm not a big fan of uh, social media in terms of interacting with it. Although, what with the whole situation south of the border, I've become a rabid Twitter uh, aficionado in terms of um, learned people, lawyers and the like, who really know their stuff, and I and I read that way. I would say probably text. My first choice is always phone, though. I like listening to people. Okay. I, and I do most of my coaching by phone. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, last question. Is there a podcast or a blog or an email newsletter that you recommend the most? Oh, well, email newsletter, Seth Godin. So, that's it for my prepared questions. Is there anything else you want to add? 
I think one of the things that's most important to keep uppermost in the mind when in conversation with anyone is to get your ego out of the equation. And the ego is noticeable because it's talking to you. Uh, if it's been my experience that when I am really listening to someone and looking them in the eyes, we call that, you know, be here now, you know, being fully present. Uh, that's kind of jargony for just shut up and listen. Wait for them to explain their full thought before you jump in and try to help them or shorten it because you're running behind. Right. And now you've just chopped them off at the knees. You, know, you don't have to prove how smart you are all the time. Just listen to people. How can people who are listening connect with you if they want to ask you a question or reach chat out with through you? the through the website? I'm available at c3conversations.com. You know, just perfect. Uh, so that's yeah. c3conversations.com. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I had a great time. I, I hope did, you too. did too. I did too. And thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about a subject that I really you know think is incredibly important. Well, I hope you too enjoyed that interview. There are at least three main points that I think we all should think about. First, focus on your hands. Are you jingling your keys? You're probably annoying people. Are you hiding your hands in your pockets? You're probably implicitly telling people that you have something to hide. Sitting at the table with your hands visible can communicate trustworthiness or engagement. Second, breathe. We also heard this recently from Bradley Christensen, the opera singer. Breathing matters. Sit or stand up straight and breathe deeply. Oxygenate your brain and your whole body. Reduce your stress. Whenever you feel emotionally charged, take a deep breath. And last, improving our body language takes a lot of focus and attention, but it is worth it. Just learning about this stuff, listening to a podcast, well, that's a great start, but we all need to take the learnings and make a real effort to be more self-aware. Cynthia said that self-awareness is the first and most fundamental pillar of developing emotional intelligence. Self-regulation and self-awareness are critical for effective communication, and that includes body language. Remember what Cynthia said? Are you walking the dog, or is the dog walking you? Hey, remember what I shared at the beginning of this episode about HRI, human-robot interaction? Well, if robots can do it, we can do it too. Now, as always, I thank you so much for listening. I know your time is valuable. I hope you too learned something and you're now inspired to be more aware of your body language. I would love to hear what you think about this episode. What were your favorite parts? What parts were less interesting? Yes, I really want to know. I'd also love to hear your ideas for future Talk About Talk podcast episodes. Is there a communication-related topic that you would love to learn more about? Please let me know. You can connect with me through Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. You can also email me at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. One last thing, if you have a moment, please go to Apple iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're using and rate this podcast. It really helps us a lot to get some traction. Thank you so much and talk soon.